St. Paul once summarized Jesus' ministry like this. He came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. This message of peace has been true since the beginning. Jesus came to bring peace to the earth. We hear this from the beginning of Luke, for example, when Jesus, uh, when the shepherds hear of Jesus' birth. An angel appears to him, to them, bring, I bring you good news of great joy, you know this story, and then suddenly they break out in song. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. By Christ, we are recipients of this peace, and in Christ, we now live lives of peace, and through Christ, we proclaim this peace. This language of peace is embedded in our weekly rhythms of worship. For example, may the peace of the Lord be always with you. This is what we do. We're people of peace. We know these rhythms. We talk about them. We live under the reign and rule of the Prince of Peace. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives true hope to the world, welcoming us into the kingdom of God, the only hope for everlasting flourishing and peace. And we believe that Jesus has sent us out to proclaim the good news of his peace, something that Jesus himself confirms earlier in Matthew in the Beatitudes when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, daughters of God. But as we all know, People, and that's including us, including Jesus' followers, we have an extraordinary capacity to forget what true peace looks like. And we like redefining peace to fit our values and our own personal opinions. We equate something as revolutionary as the peaceful reign of Christ to things as tame as comfort, peace as safety, peace as lack of conflict, peace as unquestioning affirmation of ourselves, Peace as a celebration of our personal identity, I'm sure the list could go on. These things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but true peace they do not make. Jesus' response to our twisted definitions of peace is that that will not do. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace. I have come to bring a sword. Upon first blush, it may seem that Jesus is contradicting himself. But that is not the case. He is using irony to wake us up. The peace of Christ is not simply the warm embrace from a trusted paternal figure. If that is all you seek, you can go elsewhere. You will not find that kind of peace here. Those who follow me, Jesus says, and expect all will be easy. The coming of my peace will shock you so thoroughly The peace of Christ demands such painful transformation and change. The impact of my peace will disorient your complacency and apathy with such violence, it will come upon you like a sword. Pulitzer Prize winning writer Annie Dillard has this quote that's really applicable for something like this. On the whole, she says, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs, that is martyrs, people willing to die for their faith, I do not find Christians sufficiently sensible of the conditions, of the real conditions of their faith. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? What sort of power we so blithely talk about when we talk about peace? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. 
It is madness to wear ladies' straws and hats and velvet hats to church. This was written a little while ago. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. In Matthew 10, in our gospel reading this morning, our Lord Jesus Christ is drawing us out to see the reality of his reign of peace. He is showing us that his true peace strikes us like a sword. Prepare yourselves. When you come into his presence, when you step on this holy and dangerous ground, prepare yourselves. Put on crash helmets, armor, something, anything to defend yourself. Our Eucharistic liturgy this morning is not here to protect you. The peace of Christ disturbs us from our slumber. The holy word of God read and preached will wake you and call you to lives of radical love and reconciliation. The sacrament of Jesus' body and blood isn't stocking up on food for hibernation. It's your sustenance and grace for the dangerous work of mission God has set before you. Latch on your seatbelts, Christians. When you gather to pray the daily office, when you whisper the Jesus prayer on your lips throughout the day or contemplate his love and peace, beware, he will change you. It will hit you like a sword. He will summon you out of sleep towards lives of radical peacemaking and healing and proclaiming the fullness of the good news of his peaceable kingdom. Let me assure you, when Jesus says, I come not to bring peace but a sword, he is not condoning violence. That much is made clear throughout Matthew's account of Jesus' ministry. I already mentioned, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God in the Beatitudes. Also, in in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus' words to turn the other cheek. Matthew 26, when um, one of Jesus' disciples defends, tries to defend Jesus in the garden when he is being taken by uh, Judas and the crowd. Um, Jesus is, one of Jesus' followers pulls out a sword, cr- uh, cuts off a slave's ear, and Jesus says to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who live by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus is not condoning violence here. On one hand, the sword is not to be understood literally. This violence of the sword is not to be understood literally. Jesus isn't asking us to live by the sword ourselves, to use violence to bring about peace. It is a metaphor for the danger and conflict and suffering that true peace requires. True peace demands much of us. Utter allegiance to Christ. And also it demands so much of us by devotion to Christ that all other relationships in our lives will become secondary. Even the most meaningful human relationships, that between mother and daughter, between father and son, these familiar relationships, they will appear fractured compared to the love between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus says right after he talks about peace and a sword, For I have come to set a man against father and a daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Luke, in his account of this story goes even as far to say that our deep love for Jesus will make our other relationships look like hate. 
hate within our family because of the deep love we have for Christ and our allegiance to him and to his peaceable kingdom. So on the one hand, the sword is not to be understood literally. But on the other hand, the peace of Christ is so disruptive to other human and societal definitions of peace. Violence like a sword may actually come upon us when we follow his peaceful way with deep devotion. Jesus names this when he says right after, And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Throughout this sermon, I've been speaking of both, on the one hand, the radical nature of Jesus' peace, and on the other, how easily we people dilute his message of peace to make it palatable and inoffensive. Jesus asking his followers to take up their cross and follow him is perhaps the best display of this dichotomy, and Jesus saying, no, this is not the way. We are so accustomed to talking about the cross, of using the language of bearing our cross or taking up our cross to talk about everyday challenges, maybe even finding a parking spot on a bad day, that we tend to forget the power of what is being said here, of what it means to take up our cross. But Jesus' words, take up your cross and follow me, should make us shudder. In first century Roman Palestine, The cross was a disgusting tool of execution. It's hard to think of every day of of parallels today. You could think of something like an electric chair that doesn't quite do it. Others have suggested things like a lynching tree because of the public shame involved, the offense, the mere mention of it makes us cringe. There's no perfect parallel today. It might even be appropriate to talk about something like cell phone footage of someone being killed at the hands of someone they shouldn't be killed at, like police. It's offensive, it's disgusting, it makes us cringe. It's a symbol of social disgrace, but much worse than that. The cross caused the most slow and excruciating death. And the shame and scorn of this public death didn't begin with one human being just going up on a cross naked and beaten, but it began with this equally public procession when the condemned carried the cross through the streets, enduring the mockery and insults of the crowd. To some, the Roman cross is one of the most terrible or maybe even the most terrible tool of violence and torture ever created. It is much more threatening than a sword. The sword now looks quaint by comparison. And I think Jesus' words begin to resound in a new way. He says, I came not to bring peace but a sword, but maybe he was being gentle with us. I came not to bring peace, but I came with a cross. Peace will come, but it can't come without the horrors of the sword, or much worse, the horrors of the cross. True peace requires that humanity faces the depths of our brokenness and sin, faces the darkest tools of violence we've ever created. And when we face the sword, when we behold the horrors of the cross and follow Christ, taking up that cross ourselves, being willing to suffer for Jesus' name and face public shame like him, even to the point of death, there you will find true and everlasting peace. Whoever finds his life will lose it, Jesus says here, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once summarized this message with powerful simplicity. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That is the peace of Christ. 
This radical call to follow Jesus and be ambassadors of his peace is appropriately uncomfortable and scary for us. It has already disturbed and disoriented you, not not just this morning, but throughout your life as a Christian, and it will continue to do so throughout the rest of your life. For all disciples, this is certain. This is what true peace always requires. In some small way, we could see this right now in our nation as we seek racial reconciliation. We see that true peace cannot come without exposing brokenness in ourselves and society, without protests, without painful disagreements, without working hard to understand one another to solve these problems. In other words, the peace of Christ, the peace of absolution, cannot come without confession. Brothers and sisters, we will fail in following Jesus and bearing our cross. Each of us already has. But my final words for you are take comfort that Jesus does not require anything close to perfection. In Matthew 10, Jesus calls his disciples to bear the cross with him and follow him to his death. But when the time comes in this very gospel, in Matthew's very account of Jesus' life, when the time comes for Jesus to process on the road to Calvary, dragging the heavy beams of wood, enduring beatings and jeers from the crowd, all of his disciples had abandoned him. None were left by his side. Instead, a stranger... Simon of Cyrene, a man who Jesus and his captors just came upon, it says, filled that unwelcome role. But after his death and resurrection, our Lord Jesus Christ returned to the twelve. He came to his disciples and he comes to us. And he proclaims peace to those who abandoned him, to those he still loves. And he gives us the Holy Spirit and he makes us the leaders of his church, and he sends us off to proclaim his radical and subversive peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Let me bless you with this final prayer. May the peace of God, a peace that passes all understanding, strengthen you to do the same, to keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And together God's people say, Amen.